I'm doing really good. Uh, I'm about to leave uh, for a tour of Australia. Uh, hopefully my last, not hopefully, but one of my last tours ever. Yeah, right. Um, you know, The Who, The Cure. Yeah, this The Ratfish Wranglers, my band. Last time, it's in your blood, Dave. But anyways, no, I'll, I'll respect to you, dude. That's This might be the last thing, huh? Maybe the last time. What's great is after this tour, I have no plans for the rest of my life. I don't have any air tickets. I don't have any places I have to be anywhere. However, oh, however, I'll bet you'll dream something. A yes. friend of mine works at a an Aboriginal school in mm. Kakadu, in Arnhem Land, in the very remote, far north of Australia. And yes. we discussed briefly about me bringing my teddy bear there and doing some education on food and health and food choices. You know, David, you and I are just creatives and you can't help but sit around and dream up the next thing. So I, I'll respect you for wanting to like kind of retire from showbiz, but it's, it's, you know, anyways, it, I like that idea. Well, I kind of want to do community service. You know, I've gotten all the laughs I can muster in my life. And I think it would be great if I use my talents for educating in, in a nice and non-destructive way. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. What do you think this is, dude? Well, that's right. <laughs> this is a community that's right, service. It sure is. We are servicing the paleo nerd community. That's right. Man. So let's get down so. into some paleo nerd. Enough about us. Although, should I ask about you? Because you've been nothing but busy. I have been nothing but busy. You know, you you said that I've been speeding up as I'm getting older. But, you know, Dave, you just sort of dropped into the middle of my life, well, a long time ago. But when we started doing this thing, it's just kind of what I do all yeah. the time. I'm always dreaming up something. <laughs> my my kids call it RBI, what? Ray's Big oh, Idea, RBI. Oh. Since I've known you, your RBIs pretty much come true. You've said some pretty outlandish things. And the next thing I know, there is a... What is it? A 70-foot mural at the Seattle Aquarium done by Mr. Ray Troll. Well, it's a big wall print. Whatever. And then, you uh, did the artwork, yeah, no, right? It's, and it's like... Yeah, it's 10 by 70 yeah, okay. so yeah, so that's an RBI that is pretty impressive. So my hat is off to you. Well, the other... Well, yeah, but your headphones are on, though. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I have dreamt up this other thing. My wife and I have a place in Lindsborg, Kansas, where I went to college... It's a twister. It's a twister. We bought a building there because Kansas is very affordable. And it was just this, I, we saw this building, went, whoa, this is so cool. And it's back in my old college town. There are four art museums in this town of, of about 4,000 people. So it's a pretty arty place. And we're going to open up a place called the Prairie Sea Gallery, Science, Art, and Mystery. Oh, that's pretty cool. Prairie Sea Gallery. It yeah, writes itself. You're a poet and you don't know it. Mm, yeah. So anyways, we're going to open that. We're hoping to open it here in a couple of weeks. You're off to Australia. I'm off to the middle of America. And uh, hey, but actually, you know, I sent you yeah. a story. We're just meandering yeah. around. Well, I want to get today, into some paleo because it's, it piqued my interest. I was going to steer this into paleo. You're going back to Australia. I was lucky enough to go there in 2018. I caught one of your shows. I loved it. Love Australia. I want to go back. But I want to go back for the 
lobefin right. fishes. I want to go back and see an Australian lungfish in the wild. I've been lucky enough to meet a couple, and they are our lobefin cousins, well, man. Explain a bit more. Um, a lungfish, a lobed finned fish. So what is what is the difference, and and what, what where do they start? Well, we've had a couple of guests on the old show. We had Neil Schumann who sure. wrote, you know, Your Inner Fish. And basically, he talked about it then. And uh, we also had John Long, who we also kind of alluded to it. But for those there. who are just listening now. We are highly derived fish. More derived than we. Maybe, you mean we you know, as in us more derived. All vertebrates are fish, basically. All vertebrates well, no, are fish. All vertebrates so, were fish, right? Our ancestors were fish. Well, you know... If you were a fish, you still are a fish. You're just a variation of the fish. Like you're a mammal, right. right? You're a mammal, but you know, you were an early mammal. We come from the fish. So anyways. But you can't, hold on. You can't just fish, say we're fishes. We came from fish. Yeah, but if you're a McCoy, you're a McCoy. If you're, you know, you're from the Strassman lineage, you're still encompassed. That's what cladistics is all about. You are encompassed in that in family the tree. fishes. So in that big family tree of fish, okay, the vertebrates split right. off. And basically, they are really proto, they're proto fish. All right. They're split off from the echinoderms, weirdly. We talked to uh, Henry G about this. They split off from, there's a common ancestor with the echinoderms, which are starfish and sea cucumbers and that kind of thing. But with, within the sea squirts, there are this group that are kind of vert, their spawn. So the sea squirts have spawn that have a little hint of a backbone. And anyways, those end up kind of separating from the, the common ancestor there with the echinoderms and going off. And they become fishes through over the course of time and evolution, this group. And when this fish group hits the planet, they begin to, the vertebrates begin to diversify. So an animal like Picaya or right, Picaya. Which is a Cambrian worm-like thing, but we're related to it. Right. Yeah, right. So it's an animal much like us. Because it has a spinal column. Yes, it has a spinal column. It has a hint of a spinal column. But then actually within, we now know there are fish in the Cambrian. So in the Cambrian, there are actual fish fish. They have the backbone, got the eyeballs and all that good stuff. Anyways, there's as the fish begin to diversify, you've got your placoderms, your big arthrodires. Okay, wait, 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 wait. You gotta, you're, all you're, you're going too fast. <laughs> we have to assume that there are people listening right now that... Didn't listen to Neil Schumann. Placoderms are fishes with armor in their faces. I'm trying to simplify this, but here we go. But within the bony fishes, all right, within the bony fishes, the cartilaginous fish split off. Those are and the rays. sharks and the ghost sharks. The, the, the sharks chimeras, and ray the rays. They split ray off. rays. Ray rays. So the lobe finned fishes are fishes that began to have... There was one bone here. Remember this? So you're one holding up here, your, your arm. arm yes, bone. this is a Neil Schubin. A fantastic demonstration. He bit. says that most animals from this lobefin fish had a big bone as your upper arm, two bones as your mm -hmm. middle arm, and a bunch of little bones as your hand or claw or paw. Right. And those are the lobefin fishes had the same structure. And we're talking, what, one, 350 so million years ago? When did, when did Tetalic? 375, 375 million, 380 million. And actually, it might go back even a little bit further than that with the lobefin right. fishes. And the lobefin fishes, that group split off from the other bony fish. And those are the ones that then meandered up onto right. land. So an animal like Tiktaalik or perhaps it was Tiktaalik, or Elpistostege, 
Excuse yourself. Crawled Zoom up, tight. Uh, excuse me. Crawled up on the land, and that group of fishes became amphibian-like, early tetrapods, and then those became reptiles, right. and there was a group before that sure. that covers mammals. And the mammal-like reptile, and the last thing you got is TikTok. <laughs> yeah, the end of civilization. Okay, so let's go back. You mentioned a lungfish, and, and the a coelacanth, right. by the way, is a living fossil with right. kind of lobes. Coelacanth has lobes for its feety feet. Yes. And they're alive yes. today. Yes. So they never yes. split off. They just and stayed a lobed fin fish, right? Pretty much. Back in the Devonian day, there was a lot of lobe fin fishes. A lot of love for the lobe <laughs> fins. There was all kinds. They call it the age of fishes because there was all kinds of fish. There were these big armored fish. There were a lot of lobe, lot of lobe fin fishes. There were the sharks. So there were these lobe fin fishes. There were lots of them. But coelacanths, then they kind of disappear from the fossil record. But lo and behold, in 1938... Lady Latimer and some of her other pals in South Africa found a coelacanth, like, holy yeah. cow, it's a living yeah. fossil. But yet, there's the lowly lungfish, and there's a few species right. of lungfish. There's a South American right. one, and there's, a, there's an African one, and there's an Australian one. But the lungfish, these lungfish, these are actually fish, there's a clue there that you can hold underwater and drown, because they've actually got, a, like, a singular lung, and they're breathing air. But in Australia, there is a lovely... Uh, the Australian lungfish has got that bony structure. It's got the one right. bone, two bones. And, and lobes. I mean, it's got so little feetsies. And... Well, not little feet. It's little fins. fins. But these are fins. These are modified fins. I'm waving at you here, man. Okay. So I'm just saying it's all basically, and as Neil Shubin said in that episode too, that's the body plan that we all yeah. right. are variations of. Every vertebrate has got that same right. body plan. So your arms and your legs, the same thing. But the only lobe fin fishes that are alive today are the uh, that are not haven't evolved into something else are the coelacanths and the lungfish. And we thought that maybe that coelacanths might be the closest to us. But when they did the genome, right. so that's on the it, news you, you woke me up with that's today. That's the news. They sequenced something ninety million DNA. Crazy, but they proved it. They proved it that basically. That fish is closely, more closely related to us than it is to other fish. Okay, it's in our group. You're talking and about the Australian more... Mary River lungfish. So that's yes. my great great great, yes. great 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 grandmother. I love you, mommy. Well, fish like her were, you know, so her group is still basically there. But all the other lobe fin fishes, Dave, are up on land now, and those are your reptiles. Your amphibians, your mammals. Well, they've evolved all, into those. Your things. birds. Yes, they have evolved into them, but we still belong to that group, do we not? Right. Yes, we do. Because we're not we're not a cephalopod. We're not we're not an arthropod. We're in that fish. Right. We're right. in we are yeah. So that's why dinosaurs, you know, birds are dinosaurs. They're nested within well, that group. So can you say that that uh, a bird is a fish too, like we're a fish? Yeah. Because they came from that thing that crawled on land, right? Right. And you could say so that a, a whale... A crow you know, is not going to be you know, angry if you call it a fish. Well, it's all But a six-year-old is going to say, you're silly, mister, because it's not a fish. It's a crow well, or a raven. This is for adults, Dave. <laughs> but you know what? I can sit down. You know what? I don't think this is too tough. I think evolution should be taught 
to uh, kindergartners, first graders. I did it with my kids. I said, hey, you're a fish. What, dad? Yeah, yeah. right, right. I know, but when you say that you're a fish, it's kind of a, it's a loose, it's a very loose label. It's you're not the really problem with the English fish. language. You are deri we're derived evolutionarily from fishes, but you're not really a fish. That's, Dave, that's are you pushing back. You, no, are you a mammal, Dave? Yes, I'm a, I'm a ma mammal. I'm also a primate. And, yeah, right. Okay, same but thing. But am I a dude. fish? No. You go to the Time yeah. Life book, the fishes, there won't be me or my relatives in it. In the Venn diagram, look at it from up above. In the Venn diagram, <laughs> you fall within the lobe fin bony fishes. Look, I've had this argument, you know, uh, this discussion. And actually, we had at the Cal Academy of Natural Sciences, California Academy in 1995, I said, could we possibly have a lungfish in the exhibit, and I could say, meet your cousin, the fish, and then say, basically, is it okay if I say, you are a fish? I had to meet, I had to vet this with scientists, like, no, you can't say that. Right. But then, like, cladistically, yeah. But cladism okay. rhymes with sadism, so right. I don't know. Okay, that's why I'm uh, actually enjoying watching you squirm. <laughs> so, uh, Ray, so here's an interesting fact about a lungfish. There is an Australian lungfish at the Steinhardt Aquarium in San Francisco that they're estimating to be 92 years old, give or take nine years. I don't know how they got that, give or take nine years. But it is apparently the oldest living fish in any aquarium worldwide. Right. And there was one at the Shedd Aquarium. and uh, In Chicago. That in Chicago that died recently, and it was 109. What? Really? Yeah. I sent you the article about that too, Dave. I met that one. I've met, I've met both of these lungfish. <laughs> so at the Cal Academy, that's the Steinhardt Aquarium. That's where I have my exhibit. And it was that particular fish. I'm just realizing that now as we talk about this, I've met that fish. And Dave, I'm still going to insist you are a fish. I'm a fish. Okay. Everybody's a fish. Einstein was a fish. You know, your mama Lincoln. was a fish. I have a song called, you know, your mama was a lobe fin fish. I'm familiar and I've done with images that. of, of TikTok and course. it says mother. Yes, yes. So it's kind of my thing, man. I, I you know? get, I get that fun. Have we driven it into the ground enough? Yes, here for you, you have, you have, <laughs> but I'm just pushing back a bit. <laughs> you, you like that, Dave. But anyways, so uh, switching topics to pivot here for a second. You just had an exciting trip back east, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. I went to Washington, D.C. and New York yeah. City, but it was the Washington, D.C. trip just blew me away. And yeah. I was fortunate to meet up with our friend Kirk Johnson, who is the Saint Director of the... Sant, Sant. Yeah, what, wait a minute, hold on. What is the Sant? He's the Sant Director. Why is he not just the Director? That's because a... No, wait, he's uh, the Director of the National Museum of Natural History of the Smithsonian. Yeah, the Natural History Museum. What does Sant mean? Is it like tea? Is it coffee? Uh, no, that's the fellow that endowed the position. That's the name of a person? Yes. Sant? Is the name of yeah. oh I didn't know that I thought it was some Latin. What's the last name of person? I don't know his first name, but uh, 
you could do that kind of thing. Um, and if you endow, in other words, if you oh, pay, I had no pay the idea. check, if you want to have the Strassman professorship at the, so, uh, at some college or whatever, you know, you could, uh, it could be the Strassman, the Strassman director. So that's, he's the Sant director, the Sant director. He maybe says Sant, I think he's the Sant director. So you're saying if the guy who endowed that was named Joseph Bad, he'd be the bad director of the National yeah. Museum. Okay, yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, you met with Kirk. Met with Kirk, and uh, I had never seen the the brand new Hall of Fossils, which opened about four or five years ago. Hall of Deep Time. Hall of Deep Time. And see, I even got that wrong. And Kirk says, hey, Dave, why don't you come in at eight before the public gets here, and I'll show you around. <laughs> so I Whoa. had a personal tour without anybody there, just me and Kirk, and it was just fantastic. So so did you enter? You walked through? You'd never well, seen yeah, it? Yeah, but what was great is he says, oh, yeah, when we, when we installed this, we were thinking that, and when we installed that, we were thinking about this. He showed me the fantastic full-size Megalodon. Uh, done by our <laughs> fellow guest, Gary Staub. That was quite an amazing uh, exhibition. And, and especially, he told me how they made it and how he had to crawl inside and how they had to lift it with winches because this thing is something like, I don't know, 50, 60 feet long. It's massive. But And, and I just loved how it was set up. You, you enter, and you can enter it either way, but you start right. at the present and you go back in time. Right. Well, actually, yeah, like you said, you could come at it in one direction. I think, how did, I don't know what do you remember what, as you walked to. in, were you? When I walked in, I was at uh, the mammals uh, in the Okay, so you came so, in that yeah, direction, yeah. 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 Well, so I know yeah. that as you exit it, you, you kind of go into the future, too. They have kind yeah. of a, what are we doing to our planet? But Oh, it was just so well done. And I think what impressed me the most were two animations on how oil is formed and how coal uh -huh. is formed. I've always known in the back of my head, but to see it viscerally there uh, in an animation was just made it all so clear, and which leads to you know how fossils are created as well. So also on the tour was Peter Kiergaard, who is Kirk's double over in Copenhagen, the Copenhagen, <laughs> the Denmark National Museum of Natural History. And he was there looking at how Kirk runs things because they're building a brand new building. Oh, that's right. So... He's checking this bit out and how they present that. Everything from storage of fossils and specimens to displays. And Kirk arranged for Peter to visit the Museum Support Center, which is a very boring name. And you know what that is, Ray? I know you've been there. I've been there. I know what it is. <laughs> it's in Maryland, yeah. It is seven massive buildings containing all of the artifacts, 31 million artifacts of the Smithsonian's collection since it was founded. It is the nation's attic, man. It is all the cool treasures. Dude, it is vast, is it, it not? It was insane. Went there in the morning. We spent three, four hours, Peter and I, and we were led around by James Smith, J.R., as they call him. He's the Smithsonian Institution Museum Support Center Manager. And he was this wonderful gentleman who gave us a tour of all the rooms. And, geez, there was one room called the wet room. And imagine this jar after jar after jar of specimens in ethyl alcohol, highly flammable ethyl alcohol, in these rooms where you can't have sparks or any open flames. And Oh, yeah. 
it was absolutely insane. Crabs and worms and fish. Oh, yes, there was an indeed. orca. There was an orca in one of the vats. Oh yeah, and there's been giant squid in those vats, yeah. and you yeah. can have, there's a pickled silacanth yeah. over here. You know, all the best stuff really is at the back rooms of the museums. Yeah. And going out to that Maryland, uh, those warehouses, there are there are you know there's giant canoes, you know, yeah. Haida canoes that are there. There are sculptures. There are, there are mummies. Well, there, I'll it's, have it's, pictures. It's uh, Kirk says I got to approve them by him first before we put them up on this episode. But listen to this. I have photos of row after row of just antlers. So you're talking deer, mm -hmm. elk, antelope, moose, any kind of antler you, you can imagine. Then there was row after row of skulls and elephant skulls and the most largest elephant skull shot by Theodore Roosevelt back in 19 Right, Teddy whatever. Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, no, and his cool name stuff. is on it. His name is on the damn thing. Then uh, there were these vertical rows of, all I could say is, pegboard on wheels that you pull out mm -hmm. and row after row of arrows and bows from every culture, every place on the planet you could ever imagine and arrowheads and clubs. You went to a few different buildings or just I went to all the buildings, Ray, every single, bil every single building there is to oh. look at. Oh, I already have been a couple. I'm envious now. Each building has multiple floors. And I think one of the things that Peter from uh, the Danish Natural History Museum, both, we kept looking at each other saying, there's no time to investigate all of this. There's so much to see and so much to look at and so many things that haven't been curated yet. And any object in that, in those buildings have to be first, a requisition order has to be created. Then well, you have to have an yeah. appropriate scientist and are the appropriate people to actually remove the object. And then there has to be an entire procedure on how to study that. It's just phenomenal. What I think and, is, did you go to the whale building? What I was just going to say, what's incredible too, is that you know, some, it's it's one thing to have all the butterflies and drawer yeah. after drawer yeah. after drawer, but in all the beetles, but then to house a blue whale, the largest blue else. whale jaw in the world yeah. is in that yeah. building. But yeah. the strange thing is, when we when we walked through that door. There was a very interesting smell of, I, I just want to say, maybe oil, like whale oil or something. If you think about all the, all the bones and baleen, but yeah. this was row after row of full size whale skulls and vertebra, and it was. Then there was the dolphin and porpoise room and the pinniped room. It was just phenomenal. Did you go to the domestic beetle room? Was there the all-purpose room? Sorry. Well, I'm just gonna, I, I just left a silence for a rib shot. <laughs> Ray, did you go to the uh, the, the building where they're, they've got these live beetles that are eating skeletons alive? Well, well, the beetles are alive, but they're eating all the dead bodies into bones. Oh, yeah, the beetle room. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, the, where they're doing their job. But So people listening like, well, I want to go there. You can't. It's not open to the public. It's not really. It's not open to the public. So you've got to basically However, be in a research. If you yeah. go to the website, there is a way. You have to pretty much submit a request. Right. So. So I don't know if you need credentials or a PhD or be associated with another institution. There's some institution. levels to go through, but uh, yeah. you know they are there for researchers, research purposes, and not just yeah. anybody. So it's it's kind of a privilege that you know we know some people, but. They trust us. I don't know why. 
Yeah. But they do. But, but I think we, the are, we're doing our job getting the word out about these, this, you know, wonderful collection. And, but I'm curious, going back to the hall itself, what would you say? What's, what's the one that, what's the coolest fossil you saw on display at the Smithsonian in the deep time hall? What sticks with you? The right foot of a Tyrannosaurus with rheumatoid arthritis at the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> no, we're, no, we're back at the Smithsonian. What about the Wankel Rex, man? Biting on the yeah, Triceratops. That was, yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah, what? that was great. But that rheumatoid arthritis foot in the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman is probably... <laughs> Okay, but I'm taking you back to the Smithsonian. Stay on topic. I know what you're trying to do, Ray. Well, I remember the T-Rex and the Wonko Rex and it's chewing on the Triceratops. I was there when the Wonko Rex was unveiled at the big ceremony with your drawing on the side of that big, huge semi-truck arrived at the Smithsonian way back in 2010, maybe? Something like it that? Was short, no, it was uh, Kurt Early? Uh, started working there in 2012. It took him a couple years to arrange that whole thing yeah. to actually get the National Rex. Uh, so maybe 2014-ish, thereabouts. Yeah, but one of my favorite uh, big fossils there is the Arimatherium, I believe. It's the gigantic ground oh, sloth right oh that's right that's at the very opening when you yeah, first walk like, in and it so is impressive. massive and it is massive complete. stunning and you, yeah it's huge two stories tall you know yeah. like is that a, that's a south american one right yeah, yeah yeah no it's incredible but then you also did you perhaps walk through the hall of human origins oh yes now yeah. uh, a couple episodes ago we interviewed john gershey he told us about making these sculptures of our early hominins and Neanderthal and Homo naledi and Homo erectus and, and all these incredible sculptures and the time it took and putting in 250,000 hairs in these sculptures. And then to turn a corner and walk in there, and I'll have a photo, I'm, hopefully Kirk will let me show it, of one of his sculptures, which you can't tell, you, you think it's alive. It has yeah. a quality. The eyes are are glassy as though there's really fluid in the eyes. I mean, it's phenomenal. And he did these fantastic bronze sculptures as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, Kirk was telling me later after you guys talked that he had forgotten that uh, John had done those bronzes, which are sitting right across. And yeah. then you can, you can climb on top of those, interact with those. But... Gives you kind of a weird feeling, doesn't it? Like that's that is us, yeah. you know. It's that's what we used to be, you know. Yeah, but to me, that is more palpable than being a fish. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I want you to get in touch with your inner fish, Dave. You know, it, it, it's it, it's kind of a release, you know. But well, yeah. All right. So back to this rheumatoid. <laughs> why is that one sticking with you? I'll tell you why. Because it represented a T-Rex running around in pain for years. The size of this diseased bone in the center of his three-toed theropod foot. And it's a huge foot. 
represented not a day, not a week, but years of this guy on a limp or female Rex, but it represents years of limping and pain and still pursuing prey and having meals at the same time. So it's the perseverance of life while under duress. I hear you, man. Uh, I've been through a few things myself. Yeah, but hey, <laughs> wait. I wonder if I'll make a good fossil. Didn't you break your toe once? Oh, I, I did. I, you know what I did? I was fishing as a 12-year-old, and I hit my toe on a pier railing. Okay. Yeah, and... <laughs> Yeah. And it broke my little pinky toe. And there's nothing Ouch. you can do. There's nothing you can do except be in pain for a year. It took a year to heal. Well, you know, uh, lucky me, I've never broken a bone. So Lucky you. David, let me ask you a bigger question now. You were just hanging out in Washington, D.C. with our friend Kirk and then uh, Peter from Denmark, both directors of very large natural history museums. What are museums? Why are why are they relevant? Um, you know what do, what do they mean to humanity in the bigger picture of things? <laughs> Is this the you big know, question that you're asking a, me? <laughs> I want to I want to drive to the you know what's the point? What's the point? You're just putting all this old stuff well, in a in a big room. So let me just ask you that. And now you're in the back room, and all there's that cool stuff in the back room. I'll tell you what I saw walking around the hall of deep time. There were couples, a lot of couples because this was a Saturday. There was a lot of couples, and you can tell they weren't scientists. Who knows why they were there, whether they were Washingtonians or from Virginia or visiting Washington, D.C. But they were all in conversation about what they were looking at. And I, right. and I kind of shadowed a few of them, and they were actively engaged in discussing this or that and, and what they were seeing and I was impressed that it wasn't a bunch of people well I, we, I went to the Metropolitan Museum uh, in uh, the Met in uh, New York City mm -hmm. and there's really very little discussion you just kind of walk through all these you exhibits walk very quietly through very an art quietly museum. and you yes. experience it uh, internally uh, by yourself but everybody was engaged and so that made me realize that it brings a different point of view than your natural life. Do you think people were having some, uh, there's places in that exhibit where they deal with extinctions. There's the big Permian extinction, the Cretaceous extinction. And then, of course, you're in the Hall of Human Origins. People like, that's a, you know. Well, there's I a mean, lot of references to climate change, which was great. Yeah. It was like, this happened, uh, the Permian extinction, and this is possibly, volcanism is very similar to the CO2 in our atmosphere. So I, don't, I didn't really hear people discussing that, but I just saw them engaged yeah. with each other. It wasn't just look at that or, oh, that's cool. They were in discussion about what they were looking at. How about the kids, little kids? I couldn't wait to get those little kids out of there. No. <laughs> um, you know, kids, kids running from dinosaur to dinosaur. You know, they're not reading the exhibits. Well, I just got to say this, though. I went to the Smithsonian when I was a Cub Scout in Middletown, Pennsylvania. It was 1963. So I'm nine years old. And we all trooped onto that bus and my big brother Tim was on there and he was the Boy Scout so he's kind of keeping an eye on us younger kids but I have a photograph of us uh, all the Cub Scouts all lined up there in the steps of the Capitol 
but I just could not wait to get to the Smithsonian Museum. It was my first museum uh, trip, my first big museum. So wait, where were you living? I was living in Middletown, Pennsylvania, Three Mile Island, near Harrisburg. Harrisburg. Okay. Did Harrisburg so was, have a local museum? They must have. No, I had never been to. I'd never been to a big museum. I'd been to like small town museum in my uh, grandparents' uh, hometown of Painted Post, where my my grandfather helped build that little museum and and Painted Post. And say that again. Painted Post. Painted Post, right That's outside Corning, New York. Yeah. Oh, it's a town of about three thousand. Painted Post after. Uh, the Mohawk and Iroquois Native Americans, wow. um, they had a post there where their things happened. A lot of heavy stuff oh, happened. Right. Pre-European, but, you mean? Pre-European. Oh, Wikipedia, that one. We'll have a link to that in this episode. I just got to say, when I walked into, I was already a paleo nerd, but I walked into that museum and I saw uh, my first big dinosaur skeleton there was that triceratops, and I think it's the same triceratops that's on display now. There might have been a cast of a T-Rex, or they had the Allosaurus. There was a cast of the T-Rex. That, and then it just, that did it for me. Just solidified my passion. I've been drawing dinosaurs. So I really think that, you know, my, since I've been five or six and I had the books, and all the other Cub Scouts, you know, they were running through the halls. But I just remember being riveted. And that was really a game changer for me, a life changer for me. And I really do think, and you see kids, especially kids from small towns, their first time into a hall. And you see these giant things. Sure. And remember, you're like three, four feet tall, you know, when you see these. And it was just the idea that, like, they are real. You know, these are not... Hollywood made up. It's not, you know, fairy tales. It's not dragons. These are real creatures. The sense of awe. And when you said people are talking and they're fascinated by these things, and I realized that that's what Kirk's job is, my job is, you know, really your job too as a, you know, entertainer is we're fostering fascination. We're fostering enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. And it's that sense of awe. You know, and like humbleness in front of like the natural world. It could be life altering. And I, yeah. and I think that that's an important thing for people to realize their place on this planet and places like the Smithsonian. But also the idea, too, that national treasures, things that are important, need to be protected and need to be housed so those warehouses off in maryland to keep track of it and all the employees and the generations of people anyways um yeah i guess i'll get off my soapbox now but that's you know there's a you know a reason for all this did you go up and see the hope diamond or did you go to the uh space hall of course it went to the i went to all the halls i went to the entire museum yeah, and you yeah. know what? I really enjoyed the mineral hall, the gems and the gold, and oh my goodness, uh, it was just just superb. I also went to the Museum of American History, the Smithsonian Museum, where they have the culture uh, exhibits and the inventions and the ruby red slippers from the Dorothy's Wizard, right. Wizard of Oz and Charlie McCarthy puppet. 
that's sitting in there. And your first Kermit the Frog is in there. Also went to the African American Museum too. Oh wow, cool! Which is uh, quite that's moving. Yeah, it's very moving and uh, made me feel a lot of shame for European history and early American history. Yeah, and there's the Museum of the Native American. And yes, I saw that uh, the last time I was in. Which I got to tell you a story. The last time I was in Washington D.C., I brought my son Carson there. And it was, as you said, probably 2014. And we had a night free after uh, seeing the Wankel Rex being unveiled at the Smithsonian. And uh, and I said, hey, you know, let's get on the subway. I think the Forge Theater where, where Lincoln was assassinated is near here. So we got on the subway. We got there about nine o'clock at night. There was a show on and, and all these people were filing out. And as the crowd thinned, Carson and I went in. And uh, we go to the front, and I'm standing there in an empty theater. I'm pointing. That's Lincoln's box. That's where the flag was ripped by John Wilkes Booth, jumping down. And right then, a woman comes over, an usher. Can I help you? I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We weren't at the show, just that we were walking by, and my son's never been in here. She just suddenly lit up and went, oh, well, back in 1865. She gave us the whole tour. She said, and by the way, Tonight is the, whatever, 126th anniversary of that assassination. And it just so happened it was April 15th, so many wow. years before that night that we had walked into the Ford Theater. So that was like, wow. oh, woo, yeah, very spooky. That's tax day. <laughs> what if that has anything to what do with What are the it? implications? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of heavy. But, hey, I there's something uh, else that I've been up to, Dave. Um, yeah wanted to mention this and actually you know and i think i'm allowed to talk about this and actually this is kind of funny because you know we've had 65 plus guests now we've done all these shows and then always off microphone or maybe sometimes maybe i can mention this or don't when is this going to air remember right we right. had to do that on a couple of occasions and then they tell us the big thing that's coming up oh we have to be quiet about it but i have been working i've been working on my first scientific paper what i'm a co-author no way. It's been submitted, and I don't know what? if it's it's been uh, submitted to no, a wait. journal. I don't think you should. Are you allowed to say it? Well, that's no, why you I'm, can't say it until it gets approved. Well, I no, we can talk about the work we've been doing. It's not that secret. Been working with these people. You know, we'll see if it gets published. I guess. Oh, been working on the giant spike tooth salmon. Oh, still, wow, with who? Well, yeah, no, it's been like five years that this paper right. has been. In, it's it's finally done. It's been submitted. So now we'll see if it hits. And when it hits, did you uh, submit it to Henry G, our previous guest of the Journal Nature? I don't think they're shooting <laughs> that high, dude. Um, did you submit it to Reader's Digest? I think you know Henry. <laughs> yeah. You might get approved at Reader's Digest. Uh, the Catch Can Daily News. They're yeah, looking okay. at it. All right. Yeah, they're reviewing it. You know, the <laughs> Poughkeepsie Herald. I don't know. Well, anyways, it's on the uh, the giant spike tooth salmon, and I've been working with uh, Karen Clayson. And for those Brian, of you who don't know what we're talking about, you're talking about a salmon that lived about what? How long seven ago? Million, seven million. Seven years million ago. years ago. How big was he? How big was she? Uh, they, uh, about eight feet would be somewhat conservative, eight feet, 400 pounds. What kind of test line would you use for that fish? And do you use I lures think, or just salmon eggs? I think you would, uh, well, they're plankton feeders, Dave, so they're, that does what? complicate things. Well, just like a chum salmon is a plankton right. feeder and sockeye are plankton feeders, you know. So wait, cohos eat fish, they eat 
herring. Piscivorous, yes. Okay, so wait a minute. You're saying that spiked salmon, how do you know it wasn't a predator? That it was, uh, well, they're all predators, but you know what I mean. How do you know it didn't eat herring? Giant herring. Well, basically, it doesn't have any teeth other than these two big spikes. So that's a clue. The lower jaw is this massive triangular shaped thing. It's a giant sieve. And this has been part of the discussion with the scientists. I've been working with uh, Karen Clayson, Brian Sidlowskis, Sabrina Prescott, and Ed Davis. They are the uh, lead authors. And uh, discussing all these things. But it has an, an unusual number of gill rakers, which is another oh, clue, too. Twice yeah. the number of gill rakers that, right. like a sockeye does. And a sockeye is a filter feeder. So one would surmise. And we talked about this with Jerry Smith, yeah. who's deceased now. I mean... Yeah. yeah, Jerry Smith, was, um, we talked about salmon, the evolution of fish. So we went on a little bit about the, the spike tooth salmon. Well, go back to the sockeye, the the fish that exists today. They are plankton feeders, and mm-hmm. are there gill rakers where, the, where they breathe, or are they in the mouth? Well, they're kind of like in the neck area. If, you know, it, are they is... different from a breathing apparatus, which I thought most gills for fish are of the breathing apparatus, not a feeding apparatus? Well, the gill raker. So this is where I quickly get out of my depth. Okay. And, All right. Uh, you know, right. there are the thingies back here in the throat. Oh, the, the thingies. Right. Is that in your paper? The thingies. Is that the thingies? That's, I think that's you better... where... That's where Karen and Brian come okay. in, and they, they give you all the nomenclature. They are the fish scientists. I right. know when I'm out of my depth, and right. I try to stay in my lane, but I'm a guy that Well, I'm going to try to find – you know what I'll do is I'll find – because, you know, I do all the links for every Paleo Nerds episode. I go on as, – as I listen and edit each episode, I all go into Wikipedia. I find out what we're talking about so that, you know, if we say a word or a place or something – you can go to the episode and usually find a link to what we were talking about. So what we're doing in this paper, too, is... Yeah, what are you trying tr- to prove? Well, these Is there like teeth, a thesis statement? Well, basically from sabers to spikes. Right. A new... Oh. Fang, a, get this. A new fangled reconstruction. Oh, man. Right. Get it? Okay. So they weren't just like canines hanging down. They're literally, they go out and they're probably for yeah, you know, fighting other males. So maybe breaking ice, breaking but, ice in those glacial uh, dams no, there were, up there. This is actually pre-Ice Age. Uh, the females right. had them too. So there's sexual dimorphism. Oh. So that's covered in the paper too. Karen is just a genius. She's been amazing. Wait, Brian both has been, male and female have these horizontal spikes or are they angled at a, a little bit down? No, they're spikes, man. They're they are perpendicular to the fish. They are and the function sideways. you think is the sexual display or fighting or what? Or is it what I what think it's surmise. Well, we speculate on this in the paper. The primary function I think would be for uh, fighting competitors in the spawning ah. rivers. And but that's wait, what why you would see. female have them to to tell that male well, I don't need you, but I want it. Yeah. Well, things can get rough in the old river there, yeah. and people are and the the, the little uh, the the people fish the fish. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time they get to touch in life, right? Really, so they're snuggling up to. But there's also competition between the females. But there's also some speculation too that they might be able to use them to dig what's called a red for, to lay the groove, eggs or to the milk, groove in the, to lay the right. milt sperm and right. eggs. Also, think about this: is that there is. You know, a 400-pound fish with lateral muscles that can just really slap 
pretty darn strong. You've been in a boat, like when a giant halibut comes into the boat. Yeah. That's so defense, I think, too. Yeah. So basically, oh, right. oh, it could be. don't mess with me. Wait, I got two questions. Number one, are there any predators of this fish that they would want to spike out of the way? Don't you, have you heard about the orcas that have this propensity for eating only king salmon? And orcas and that, so the, that are eating great white shark livers off the coast of yes. South Africa? So there, there are predators that this spike could be used to say, get out of my way, or I don't like you, right? Possibly. Defensively, so defense. We're back in the Pliocene, so things yeah. are not it's quite as they are today, but there yeah. were killer whales-ish. There were bears. There were saber-toothed tigers. Sea lions, seals. If you watch what's going on in the creek, you know, so. Yeah. Okay, my other question is, do you have any pre-fossils of fish with a little nub, and then a million years later, later the nub's a little bigger, and then later that's a huge spike? Or do these spikes just appear in the fossil record without any evolutionary timeline? This is a pretty weird aberration, it seems. But when I go down to the old spawning creek here, believe you me, catch can reeks right now. Uh, I go down there and I dig up, uh, the, I'll grab the fish jaws. And if you look at dog salmon, so when the, the salmon come into the fresh water, fresh they, water they totally morph their skulls. They, totally do they morph. Do the bones a, morph or do the, yes, the bones yes. change? It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. And skull structure, big teeth. And on that's both just sexes. all within what, a week? Within a couple of weeks, the transformation happens. Big humps. Yeah. They change color. But right. also their teeth begin to kind of splay outward. So I'm ah. always looking at that. I'm looking at the dog salmon like, wait, those teeth are not really – they're not for biting fish. They're for fighting. Right. And they're kind of outward. So these so spike snapping. tooth could be a month adaptation. That happens in a month. I you know. I think there's – they're probably had them out in they're pretty massive and maybe but so there's no ev- you have any fossil evidence of of these spike to salmon uh that died in the ocean before they went upstream to spawn and they have these spikes you know some of the biggest ones and actually yeah. they're much bigger than the oregon specimens right are down in your neck of the woods san oh, really? diego and los angeles oncorhynchus rastrosus is the genus and species name and there are beautiful specimens, and there are marlin-sized vertebrae really? down there. Wow. So, and they may be a different time level than, sure. you know, the five to seven million. So there might have been some gigantism that happened down in your neck of the... But it's fascinating, and it's pretty fun to be working with these scientists and batting these things around. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. I, I hope the paper comes out, and uh, then you can put your name. Your name will be in the... Annals of Paleontological. Paleoichthyological. Oh, paleoichthyological. Well, Ray, this wraps up without a guest. And, Let's just uh, do this. All. Who needs guests? Who needs guests? We do. <laughs> we do. Oh, good God. <laughs> we it has really been do. A... I'm a paleo hey, nerd. I'm a paleo nerd, too. Yeah, you came to a <laughs> late in life. All right, Ray, what a great, great episode. Uh, always wonderful talking to you. You always enlighten me, and uh, I am thankful for your knowledge and experience. I always leave our episodes, and I leave richer. just hanging out with you. Richer and smarter. and Dave, uh, Dave, yeah. you're a fish. <laughs> and on that, goodbye <laughs> from Ojai, California. Signing off. Where, yeah, uh, where? 
It's still 80 degrees in uh, almost the beginning of October. Well, it's autumn here, and the humpies are rotting in the creek, and the bears are heading back to the woods to go snooze for the winter. And it's raining again, but that's such is my lot in life, Dave. So anyways, signing off from beautiful, soggy Ketchikan, Alaska. It's Raymond Troll saying goodbye. And Dave Strassman saying see ya. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time. I'm a paleo nerd. I'm a paleo nerd. I'm a paleo nerd.